dislike of flying is probably known to many of you. I make uh, no secret of the fact that I do have a rather irrational fear that I would rather not fly. But I also have a strong belief in prayer. I believe in a God who hears and answers our prayers in according to his will. He even intervenes in human affairs in response to the prayers of his people. And so I'm always glad to be encouraged to pray. However, in the following situation, I would not, I would rather not be encouraged to pray. Passengers on board Air Asia flight from Perth to Kuala Lumpur were told to pray after their aircraft started violently shaking shortly after takeoff. In a statement, Perth Airport said the pilot identified technical issues, turned around, and returned. Passengers reported hearing a loud explosion in the left engine before the plane started to shake and shudder. One traveller likened the experience to being inside a washing machine. Passenger Sophie Nicholas told News Corp she heard an explosion in the left wing but couldn't see anything. The plane just started shuddering a lot, she said. You could tell by the cabin crew's reaction that it was really bad. Miss Nicholas added that the captain asked everyone to remain seated 
when announcing that the plane would return to Perth before asking all travellers to say a prayer. Now, to be honest, I wouldn't need a pilot to tell me to pray if I were in a plane and heard an explosion. And to be honest, I definitely don't want my pilot invoking the help of the Almighty when it comes to any plane that I am flying in. When I'm in the unfortunate situation of being in a plane, it is physics and mechanical integrity that I trust in. But it does raise a question. What might your prayer be in that situation? You see, just as each of us will have a final meal, each one of us will also pray a final prayer. It may not be in a tin can hurtling towards the earth. Most likely, it may be in a hospital bed. We may pray our final prayer, in fact, not even knowing that it is our final prayer. But Psalm 88 reads to me a little bit like a final prayer. It is called the darkest and most hopeless of the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. It says, I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. I am confined and cannot escape. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. The darkness is my closest friend. It's kind of like heavy metal lyrics. 3,000 years before heavy metal was invented. So I want us this morning to consider, firstly, the way that we in the modern world distract ourselves from the reality of death. And then I want us to go back into this psalm and consider the rather gloomy and uncertain view of death that it presents. And then look at the New Testament to see the undoing of death in the death of Jesus. Well, all humans attempt to somehow build a wall around ourselves as a way of overcoming our fear of death. In the 1970s, a famous book was written by a psychologist uh, called The Denial of Death. He went as far as to say that really all human society is just an elaborate mechanism designed to keep us from having to avoid, keep us from having to confront our own mortality. Everyone develops this sense of themselves, he said, uh, as physical, but we also develop a sense of ourselves as something beyond the physical, uh, a symbolic view of ourselves. We think of our souls or our spirits or our reputations living on after we in our physical selves have died. And of course, the writer of this book sees religion as a key plank in that whole project of trying to soften the reality of death. He says, uh, what we do is project our longing for an ongoing existence into our religious beliefs. But it is interesting that as Western society has become less religious, we have become increasingly unfamiliar with some of the realities of death. Uh, compared to 150 years ago, say, when most people died at home, uh, very few people today have ever seen a dead body. Back then, people would die at home, so their body and, and the process of death was open to the family, to all to see. So the less religious that we become, we actually are losing the language to enable us to make sense of death. Now, Christians are very strange people. Uh, you think about the kinds of things that we get our children to sing about. From a very young age, my children would happily sing along. He died upon the cross. Jesus died, if he died, died, died. Always singing about death. Have you ever thought, that 
quite strange. Other kids, without any church experience, they don't sing and talk about death the way church kids do. And the culture at large is losing that language as a way of talking about death. The critique of Christianity may come and say that, well, look, Christianity is just another religious attempt to, to deal with the reality of death, to keep it at bay. But at least in the case of Christianity, our language, our way of thinking does not shy away from the reality of death. Well, let's go back to the world of this psalm, Psalm 88 in the Old Testament. Because when we go back to the Old Testament, we find, rather strangely, that death and what lies beyond death is talked about in a rather uncertain and gloomy way. The word Sheol is the most common word to talk about the place of the dead. Uh, not so much the New Testament language of, of heaven and hell, uh, but you could go back and, and retranslate verse 3 of Psalm 88 like this. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near Sheol. It's the place of the dead. In the Old Testament, Sheol seems to be a place of annihilation, of non-existence, a place where nothing happens. This is quite in keeping with verses 10 to 12. Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? The answer to each of these questions, sadly, is no. They do not play golf in Sheol. There are no dinner parties. The things that God gives us to enjoy in this life are not present there. I used to have a, a boss who would say without fail when I came to work each day, I said, how are you? He would say, I wouldn't be dead for quids. Without fail. And this is kind of a bit like the Old Testament view of death. That God is the God of the living, but also the God of the dead. Well, in the Old Testament, that's actually a little bit uncertain. The only slightly nice, the sort of most hopeful thing the Old Testament says about those who have left this life is at some points it says, such and such went to rest with his fathers. But you see, the Old Testament view about death is developed as the Old Testament goes on. We get a few glimpses of something more hopeful and concrete in passages like Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, which says, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And the vision, Daniel 12 Verse 2, he sees multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so verses like these ones give rise to the expectation that we find amongst the, the Jewish people of Jesus' day, that there would come a day that we call the general resurrection, the day in which God intervenes to raise all those who have lived and died so that along with those who are alive at his return, they might be judged. That they might face God's judgment, either that they be vindicated or that they face God's condemnation. 
Now, as we come to the New Testament, we see that death is a subject that the New Testament has a great deal more to say to us on. That is because I think in the New Testament, the great need of humans and the mission of Jesus intersect together. They meet perfectly. You see, the great need of humans is to be reconciled to God. Otherwise, we die and face his judgment and we'll be found guilty. And the mission of Jesus is to die. And in dying, to dismantle the power that death has over us. So that, just like, unlike any person who was ever born, we see that Jesus, in fact, was born to die. Think about that for a moment. Of all the people who were ever born, the only one who did not deserve to die came into the world in order to die. God the Eternal Son, part of the, the Godhead that had existed forever together, who alone of all people did not sin. He is the one who submits himself to death. And we might ask why. Well, it was for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10 says that Jesus died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You see, Christianity does not shrink away from death. Indeed, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each spend an enormous amount of time focusing on the death of Jesus. Because his death is a death for you in your place. His death pays for your sin. And his death makes a way for you to have life even beyond your death. In concluding, I want to talk about what might be your final prayer. For we will all face death. We will all pray a final prayer. We will all face death unless Jesus returns first. And we may see death coming in the distance in the form of some long illness. Or frankly, death may be as unseen as the bus we step in front of. What will be the last prayer on our lips when we die? I've had lots of deathbed conversations with people over the years and you might be surprised to hear that I have not seen that many deathbed conversions. Now you might think that's strange. You might think, you know, if a person's sick, they're in lying in a hospital bed and, and they're not getting out. They know they're not getting up. Why not take a punt? You know, maybe you haven't thought about God your whole life. Why not two bob each way? Give it a shot. See if he's there. See if he answers. Give it a, give it a go. I find people are generally quite reticent to do that if that has been their position towards God all their life. Some, in fact, rail against God because of the situation that they face. Others may feel a, a sense of guilt and think, well, how could God accept me? I've, I've, I've wanted nothing to do with him my whole life. How could I be acceptable to God as I am? But of course, others who've known God's faithfulness for many years cling even more closely to him as they come to the end. So it is important that we pray today the prayer that will be a good prayer to pray as your final prayer. 
I suppose the first and simplest prayer you can pray is, is just, God, save me. You may have noticed the only glimpse, and it's only a glimpse of hope in that whole psalm, came in verse 1, the first line. He begins, O Lord, the God who saves me. It's maybe half a glimpse of hope. But God is a God who saves. And he saves us by placing upon his son the guilt that was racked up by us, the penalty and punishment that we deserve. His death washes away our guilt so that we can be acceptable to God. And though we die, we can know the acceptance and forgiveness of God through what he has done. So I'm going to finish with a short prayer. It's a simple prayer. And you might like to quietly, in your own mind and in your own heart, pray this prayer to God as I pray it along. Uh, it's a prayer. It's a prayer that really just asks God to save you. Don't wait for your deathbed to pray this prayer. You may not get a deathbed. But it's a simple prayer and you might want to quietly say it to God with me. Let's pray. Lord God, save me. I need to be forgiven for living my way and not yours. Please forgive me through the death of your son Jesus for me. Please help me to love you with my whole heart and to live for you. Thank you for your love and mercy. Amen. You may have prayed a prayer like that lots of times. As I said, it's kind of the simplest and probably most important prayer that Christians can pray. And so if you've prayed that prayer many times, then keep on going, keep on serving and loving him. But maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time or prayed it for the first time and really meant it. Then it would be really good for you to talk to somebody about that. Tell me, talk to me, talk to somebody else here this morning, over morning tea or during the week. Because it may be that you've, in praying that prayer and in meaning it for the first time, you've taken a significant step in your relationship with God. Or it may be that you're just not sure about a prayer like that at this point for you, and that's fine and good. But it'd be good to talk about maybe why you couldn't pray a prayer like that at this point. But do talk about it. As we have morning tea together this morning, as we have opportunities over the coming weeks, let's keep talking about where we're at with God and why we can and can't maybe pray a prayer like that. Because the things we're talking about today are indeed matters of life and death. Let's stand and sing our